I'm Tan Trung, and this is the Tan Report. In the podcast this week, as most of New Orleans is getting ready for the heart of carnival season with two weeks of parading ahead, I'm going to pick the brain of a person in charge of presenting the city in the best light with the goal of getting people to come here and spend their money. I'm Walt Leger, president and CEO of New Orleans & Company. Walt Leger has been the head of New Orleans & Company for less than three months. So what does New Orleans & Company do? Think of it as the public relations firm for the tourism and hospitality industry in New Orleans, which before the COVID-19 pandemic was worth about $10 billion. And when you're dealing with public relations and marketing, things like media coverage and headlines matter. Near the end of 2022 and coming into this year, some of the headlines surrounding New Orleans have been about the increase in violent crime since the pandemic and how the city is now considered the murder capital of the U.S. As troubling as that may all sound, Leger told me crime is not the biggest thing pushing potential visitors away. Public safety on a day-in and day-out basis impacts the people who live in this community, but there's no question that it also impacts the perception of the city. And so when, you know, when an article comes out that says New Orleans is the murder capital of America, customers that we work with at associations and corporations and other major decision makers about where they place their meetings, they read those things. Has it affected business so far? I mean, I'm, sure it affects business. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know that you, no, I don't know that you can say we've had major cancellations. We've had a meeting here or there that have, you know, moved to a different location. I, we haven't had any major events be canceled because of crime, but but there are concerns about it. The data shows that we have a challenge in the city, so you can't hide from that, but. There are, there's also data that shows there are 32 other cities that have higher violent crime rates than us. And so you do have to put that in perspective. And you also have to kind of put into perspective that, you know, unfortunately, the homicides taking place in our community are taking place largely between people who know one another, either because of the inability to solve differences in a, in, you know, in a peaceful way between like family members or acquaintances that result in gun violence or through people who are engaged in criminal activity that are either rivals or are doing business together. That is the bulk of that, that homicide. And when you talk to customers that frankly about some of the things that are happening, they understand it. They live in cities too. And so we, we do spend a lot of time talking through those kind of things. But, you know, we also spend time talking to them about other challenges. You know, I mean, the legislature's enacted some, some legislation that is, you know, perceived as discriminatory as it relates to the transgender community. You know, the legislature, with the, with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, there are a number of groups that have concerns about being in the state of Louisiana where a woman's rights are now limited in the maternal health services that they can receive. And Has so, that manifested in a tangible way so far? Uh, more so than, than crime. How so? We've had we've had events that have canceled because of that uh, because of the Roe v. Wade overturning, and we've worked with even more that have had concerns about it that we've had to work through. So we have lost business because of the law in the state of Louisiana. How can you remedy that? Because that's uh, unless there's a major shift in you know the, well, the so, political landscape at the well, legislature, that doesn't well, seem well, so feasible. One way is you can help explain to people what the reality is. So. There was a belief that the law as it existed would prevent a, a woman from receiving emergency health care if she were pregnant and if she were in need of, of abortion services that were related to life and death. That's not the case. A woman does have access to emergency medical health care, but you do have to work with the local hospitals, which is what we've done. We've partnered with 
uh, LCMC. We've worked with their staff. We've gotten clarity on the law and how it's applied in these hospital settings. And we've provided an opportunity for attendees at conferences to have access to, uh, to those hospitals should they need them. Of course, no one has, but we've gone the extra step of working through those concerns, explaining how the law is actually applied, and getting verification from healthcare community that, that emergency services are available. The, challenge, the bigger challenge to that is when groups want to make a political statement about where they do business based on the politics of a location. As it relates to the transgender law, you know, New Orleans, when ranked by the Human Rights Commission, receives a rating of 110 out of 100. Louisiana has a rating of about 65 out of 100. And so yeah, we're certainly an island here. We have to make a distinction between New Orleans and its willingness to welcome all people, and then the state's sort of different approach to that. Again, we're not alone. There are many states that have urban areas that are much more welcoming and rural areas that are much less welcoming. And so, Regardless if you love or hate Louisiana's abortion and transgender laws, it's hard to ignore that some companies and organizations are taking so-called woke positions on such issues. And there's money involved in those positions. Take North Carolina, for example. After that state passed a bill in 2016 that eventually became known as the Transgender Bathroom Bill, it reportedly lost billions of dollars when some events and planned projects pulled out of the state in protest. One event was the 2017 NBA All-Star Game, which was planned for Charlotte. The league decided to move the All-Star Game to here in New Orleans. Five years later, the state of Louisiana had its own trans-related bill, which bans transgender women and girls from playing on female sports teams in schools. Leger is well-equipped to talk about politics. He served 12 years in the state's House of Representatives and was, for a time, House Speaker. When he left Baton Rouge, joining New Orleans and company with its requirement to be well-versed in topics like crime, politics, and policy was not in his plans. I was leaving the legislature in 2020. I was term-limited, and I, my plan was to go back and practice law. That's what I'd been doing for almost 20 years at the time, and that was the goal. That was what I was going to do. I was leaving politics, I was going to go practice law, and I was going to spend time with my young children. A number of different opportunities presented themselves for me to go do something else. I was a little surprised with it. I considered a lot of the different options, but ultimately, when presented with this option and the opportunity to be impactful in so many of the different ways that you just referenced, I, I felt like I wanted to give it a shot. And so uh, and I also figured if I didn't like it, I could just go back and practice law. And so to come here and then for COVID to happen, then the chaos to ensue and all of the difficulties, um, but to have the ability to then, you know, have the governor appoint me to his resilience commission on behalf of tourism and be able to use the experience I had in, in Baton Rouge to try to influence how we move forward as an industry, be able to work with customers on so many of these difficult political issues it just sort of solidified for me, like maybe this really is where I'm supposed to be given the things that I've already done because there's just a lot of things you have to navigate through. I think my favorite thing about it is that it does touch upon a lot of different things. At the end of the day, we're working for our members. We're trying to bring people to our city. We're trying to attract and win business away from other cities, but we're also really trying to improve the community and improve the way that we present to the world, but also not in a way that is somehow just a show, in a way that's real and authentic. Some say tourism and city leaders have struggled with being real and authentic. 
Those claims have come from the communities that create the very culture that is so often celebrated and relied on in New Orleans. In 2019, following a public forum on tourism organized by the Advocate newspaper, the Music and Culture Coalition of New Orleans posted an article on its website saying, quote, the lack of people of color, women, and workers in leadership roles hurts New Orleans. In its post, the coalition called out various tourism groups for having mostly, if not all white, all men executive boards, while a majority of the artists, musicians, and hospitality workers are people of color who deserve better wages and better representation. Considering those demands for inclusion, how does Leger plan on pulling in more of the people who create the music, food, and ambiance that he and his team market to the rest of the world? I certainly have heard the same concerns, and, and that's why I think it's important that we focus on addressing those concerns. What I feel really good about is we have a really concerted and aggressive effort at community engagement like we've never had before. Uh, our vice president of external affairs and membership, uh, Kevin Ferguson, is really pounding the pavement, connecting with community organizations, engaging with the general uh, public, and and going to places and talking to people uh, that hasn't always happened in the past. So one, you know, being intentional about how you engage and how you you know show up. But I'll also say, you know, look no further than our um, our current ad that we've put out there, which is called Plus One. We got a lot of hungry people tonight. I want the fish in the oven. That 30-second ad features black, white, and Asian faces. From cooks, Mardi Gras Indians, to shrimpers, all of them eventually sit down before a spectacular spread of the things they created. In modern terms, and in the ad at least, they have a seat at the table. We really feel like there are a lot of things that make New Orleans special, but ultimately the most important thing is the people and the variety of people that you will find here, the creatives of all of all kinds, whether it's food, music, uh, art, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Our ad is really a celebration of those people. We brought people from all different parts of town and all different uh, backgrounds together around one dinner table. And the whole ad is essentially come to New Orleans and sit at this table with us. We call it plus one because basically we're saying we've got a seat and it's for you. But basically, we're celebrating this whole variety of people that make New Orleans special. And so I think we've put our best foot forward immediately to say, like, this is what we're going to show and talk about and highlight um, those individuals who are making it happen. And I think we just have to consistently continue to do that. But do you it, recognize that there was a challenge there, I guess? I think know, there's... Were there valid arguments that... Well, you know, so I think, I think yes and no. You know, yes and no. I think there's... I think there's sometimes a, a, a misconception about like who we are and what we can do. But I also believe that there are ways that you can improve the relationship between the quote-unquote hospitality industry and those individuals who are also a major and significant part of it, but are a artist or a musician or a individual who's in a part of that industry as opposed to a company that's employing people that are a part of that industry and trying to find the right ways to provide more and more opportunities for them to engage meaningful, meaningfully in it. And the, the truth is, I think this organization has always worked to create opportunities for, for those folks. I think what is, on, what is a challenge is that how do you create an opportunity for all of them and you don't get perceived as creating a, an opportunity for some but not others? Some are favored and some are not, and that can sometimes be a matter of chance, or it can sometimes be a matter of familiarity or other things. Perfect example, Miss Universe pageant. You know, I mean, we brought the Miss Universe pageant in, 
and we ultimately put musicians on the international stage in front of 500 million people in 165 countries and really were able to celebrate them but it was three musicians right it wasn't a hundred musicians it was three and so if you're talking about 197 of them are maybe upset right now right uh, we didn't want to upset them we brought that event here to create economic activity for the city for the, the industry and to put a spotlight on our city with the hope that not the thousands of people who participated in that event, but the millions of people that will come. And when those millions of people come, they're going to go into restaurants and bars and music venues around the city, and they're going to support those hundreds of musicians. But on that stage on that given night, there were three people that were chosen by the Miss Universe folks. You know, we made the opportunity available, but some people won and some people didn't. And so I do think there's always going to be some level of a feeling that there are winners and there are losers. But at the end of the day, that w again, that wasn't about that one event. It was about all the future visitors that come from it that are going to support the people who are creating the culture and do support the people creating the culture on a daily basis. So I think there's an inherent conflict there because you can't possibly do everything for everyone. A common goal for almost everyone in tourism around here is to get it back to where it was before COVID. 2019 was actually a record-setting year, when more than 19 million people visited New Orleans and spent more than $10 billion. Regaining that lost ground has been hard, Leger told me, when I asked him about rebounding from the pandemic. We're emerging from the pandemic, three years detached from the height of it in 2020. Obviously, 2020 and 2021, and even portions of 2022, were very fragmented in terms of what the tourism industry looked like and the service industry looked like here. In your view, where are we coming out of or emerging from the height of the pandemic? As you said, we're, we have emerged from the pandemic, like finally, right? We had false starts here and there, but um, I think you're, the way you described it is, is interesting and accurate. There were, throughout that whole period, there were fits and starts and there were little pieces of advancement and then retreats and a variant would pop up and things would get tight again. And, you know, there would be a lockdown here and then an expansion there and we would host a meeting and then a month later, you might not be able to host a, a meeting. Um, things were, you know, it was a lot of hurry up and wait, a lot of, you know, effort being put forward, but not a lot of results coming from that effort. And so I think a deeper level of frustration for people that worked in this industry and just a lot of hardship. Um, we're at a much better place now. You know, I mean, 2022 was truly a very, a very good year for the city of New Orleans. We had some of the largest meetings in the country that we hosted in 2022 in our city. Um, and that's, you know, and the year was, was an, a great one even though the first quarter of the year was was damaged severely by the Omicron variant and some cancellations. But, you know, last year, we finished the year in December hosting the American Society of Hematology with 25,000 doctors in town, one of the most important meetings uh, and, and one of the largest held in December anywhere on the planet. Uh, we had 90 different countries represented through the attendance. Really spectacular way to end the year. And every hotel room in the city was filled with either exhibitors or, or attendees at that meeting. And, and that was just kind of the icing on the cake. It was interesting that you led with the conference of, and I might be butchering it, of hematology. hematology. Because I think for the layperson, people outside of the 
the industry. Uh, we think of the major events, and if we don't see Jazz Fest, if we don't right. see Mardi Gras, French Quarter Fest, then all hell's breaking loose. But right. the fact is, is that you have to kind of keep, as you said, the funnel going and understanding that you know these bookings of major conferences and meetings here is really also part of the lifeblood. It's not just these major events that we see, correct? Absolutely. You know, I think I, I am fascinated by the interaction between our community and these types of events because they are largely unknown. You kind of know it and you might see it, right? You might see a large number of people in town. Like if you pass through the airport during that time, you see a lot of people coming in. But you're not necessarily saying they're the hematologist. No, but I'll tell you a funny story is yesterday I got a text message from a friend who was in the airport and he said, I think you have a cowboy convention in town. And I kind of was like, well, I'm not sure, but let me check. So I went over to the convention center and the cattlemen are in town, the cattlemen's association. So we we do have a cowboy convention in town. So um, sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not. But, you know, the, it's, the statistics are really interesting on this. I find it interesting anyway. About 70% of our visitors in the city are here for leisure purposes. They might be here to visit family or friends. They might be here for a family reunion or for, uh, you know, a military reunion or some other kind of uh, gathering. Um, or they may just be here on vacation. About 27% of the people that are here are here for conventions, conferences, and meetings, but that 27% spends 45% of the direct spending of in the tourism industry. So a disproportionate amount of the spending comes from those professional conferences and meetings. So as you said, it's a, it's a component, but it's actually really a foundation because it, it, it is the part of the business that touches the most other businesses in our community. Because if you're gonna have a conference or a meeting, then you're gonna have either the convention center or you're gonna have that meeting in a hotel or in some other venue. So you've got the venue. You're also gonna rent, you're often gonna rent out a restaurant and you'll rent the whole restaurant because your people are gonna you know fill the whole restaurant. And so those conferences and conventions and meetings are really critical. Something else that's critical for a person in Leger's position is the relationship with the city's leadership, more specifically, the mayor of New Orleans. At the top of the podcast, I mentioned that Leger has been on the job for less than three months. He replaced Stephen Perry, who recently retired after 20 years leading New Orleans and Company, and back when it was called the New Orleans Convention and Visitors Bureau. Before COVID vaccines, and even after them, when the city and tourism were trying to figure out ways to stay viable, Stephen Perry criticized Mayor Cantrell for implementing what he viewed as business-killing restrictions on the community. Cantrell called Perry's exchanges with her administration unprofessional. At one point, the administration released text messages Perry had sent to the staff, some of which were peppered with profanities. In some ways, Leger has a clean slate with the administration. I won't comment on Mr. Perry's relationship with her, but I will say that we have one, and we've had one for many years. Um, She was my council member. Uh, in District B, uh, you know, where I lived for many years. I represented some of the same people she did when I was in the legislature. And so we've had that a relationship, a collegial one for many, many years, and we continue to, to do so. We can't do what we do without having a, a relationship with, with the mayor and with the city. And we maintain good relationships with the city council also. So we're pretty much in constant contact with the mayor's office and with the with the city council's office. And personally, I think I have a very good relationship with the mayor and with the city council. Um, And I think that's an an imperative. So certainly those were very challenging times that you were referring to for everyone. My goal is to do whatever I can to bring people together because we're just so much better when when that happens. But if you have to take an honest look about the relationship between the 
council and the mayor's office, it's not great um, currently. And you know, the, the mayor has been embroiled in some of her own uh, controversies. How does that affect how you present the city? Because they are part of the pieces uh, when, when you look at you know, the attention that is paid to New Orleans. Yeah, so I don't think necessarily that the relationship between the mayor and the council translates outside of the city. You know, I mean, in the community, you know, in the greater New Orleans area where the local news carries beyond, well, beyond our borders, I mean, certainly you get a lot of talk. It is inside baseball, so it, to speak. But so, somewhat it is, right? So I've been around all of this politics for a long time, and I served eight years with, with Governor Jindal, and I served four years with Governor Edwards. And um, I've been on both sides of, of issues where you both have very vehement disagreement between the legislative branch and the executive. I've also been in a place where I've had very tight agreement. You know, unfortunately, I think that's just part of politics. So right now, it is a pretty chilly relationship between the council and the, and the mayor, no doubt about it. Um, but sometimes push and pull is what's needed to get to the right answer. The push and pull that's going on certainly at times seems very icy and maybe more personal than it should be. But that is the nature of sort of the way politics is everywhere right now. And I think from our perspective, it, it fortunately doesn't really trickle outside too much. We will support the mayor and the council in all of their efforts to continue to address public safety issues, to continue to address infrastructure issues, and all the quality of life issues um, that impact residents every day, and that impact our ability to be the most competitive we can be in a in a very competitive world because every city in our in our country wants to host these meetings every city in our country wants to bring people to their community to spend dollars in it and the competition is extremely fierce in last week's podcast i focused on louisiana's population loss over the decades a demographer told me the state's lack of economic diversity and development are huge factors in that loss for as long as most of us can remember Tourism and hospitality have been the backbone of the local economy. But there can be an argument that it's kept the city reliant on just a single source of work that is limited in wages and very susceptible to swings in the market. Leger would actually welcome another kind of industry to drive business in the city. The way I look at this is is this. So when you look at our major competitive cities and you look at the mix of travel that happens in those places, one thing that really sticks out very firmly is that We have leisure travel, and we have professional convention, conference, and meeting travel, and we have almost no business travel. So transient business travel would be travel that happens for the purpose of conducting business. So like, I am going to this place because I have a business meeting there, or I'm going, you know, uh, or I have a transaction to do there, or I have a customer there, or, you know, a business trip, right? And separate and apart from a conference or convention, right? We just don't have that level of diversity in business to drive that kind of traffic. If you go to another city that we're a competitor with, and I won't name any, but some of them have 40 or 45% of their travel is business transient travel. Because they have the companies. Because they have companies there, right? And so major challenge. Um, also more pressure on our industry to deliver on this meeting convention conference you know, piece because it is so important. And so all that to say, and sort of agree with you, that the lack of diversity in business opportunities is a challenge. It's one that, if we could address, would actually make our tourism and travel industry even stronger 
because you would add to it business transient travel as well as meetings, conferences, conventions, and leisure travel. So what I tell people is I think it's critically important that this industry that is the most important industry in the city become the third or fourth most important industry in the city. Not because I want it to be a smaller industry, but because I want it to be a more successful industry that is supported by transient business travel for, from other sectors. And so that could even be for healthcare purposes. And I think you're beginning to see some of that opportunity emerging with some of the really high quality healthcare uh, centers of excellence that we have here with LCMC, University Medical Center, Oshner, and others. We should be a foundation for those things. And we're working to try to be even you know better at using the conferences, conventions, and events that are here to try to create and connect with other business creation opportunities. But, it, but it's another reason why it's so important that every day our city's putting its best foot forward because we're bringing in CEOs of major corporations. We're bringing in true high-level people who are here for these conferences and conventions that can make decisions about where they're going to make investments and where they're not going to make investments. And if they come here and they have a great time and, they, and they're welcome here, and they feel good about it, and they like the culture like we know they will, and they love all of the things that come along with that, and they can also see a path forward because the infrastructure is good, because our education system works, you know, uh, because it's safe, then they might make an investment here. We might attract a business here. We might be able to further diversify the economy. Until that happens, it doesn't seem realistic or practical to move away from a multi-billion dollar industry that employs tens of thousands of locals, many of whom are now preparing to put on the greatest free show on earth in the form of Mardi Gras. In New Orleans, I'm Tan Trung for WWL Radio.